Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, hello everyone, and here we are, part four of our Renew series, the final part of our Renew series, and we are going to have to uh, wrap things up this week. Wasn't that great for Amanda this morning? Such a great story of somebody influencing their neighbourhood. I don't know if I even need to do the talk this morning, because that's what we're talking about today. How do we rebuild our neighbourhood? And so as part of this final part of the Renew series, I hope you find this helpful. I, I know that my, my dad watches it every Sunday evening. He goes to his church in the morning and then he watches us in the evening. Whether it's to check my theology, I'm not too sure. But thanks, Dad, for watching and send me your comments every Monday morning. Um, I hope it's been helpful to you too, wherever you are watching. If you're in the locations, I hope you're benefiting from learning about this God that makes everything new. He loves to revive, to restore, to, uh, to re, uh, redeem us, to reform us. It's like that's God's special party trick. He loves to make broken things new. And if you're with us today, whether you're watching online or in location, and you're feeling like a little bit like you're not where you'd love to be, you feel a bit broken, you feel a bit kind of less than what you hoped you would be at this point in your life, in your career, in the pandemic, then I want you to know there's a God that loves you, that cares for you, that's interested in you, and he wants to make you new, to renew you. And so as part of this teaching, we're rolling through the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the books of the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah. We're looking at the story of the people of Israel and the people of Israel when they were taken from their city, Jerusalem, and the city was ransacked and the temple was destroyed, the altar was desecrated, the, the walls were ripped down around the city and they were taken off to Babylon. And 70 years has gone by to the point we get to. And this is an ancient story, probably around the sort of three, 400 BC mark. And here we are in this moment where we are actually being, uh, we are seeing the people of Israel restored back to Jerusalem, being sent back. So over the last few weeks, we talked about renewing our heart. We talked about softening our heart. We talked about rekindling our worship. As Ezra rebuilt the altar, sorry, Zerubbabel rebuilt the altar and the temple, there was a rekindling of worship. And there was also then, um, there was this moment that last week we talked about reviving our church. That if we want our church to be revived, it starts with repentance. It starts with giving our attention to the word of God. That as we get ourselves aligned with his word, we will see our church come alive once again. That's how it works. And this week we're going to talk about rebuilding our neighbourhood. How to be people of influence. And we're going to use the book of Nehemiah. So if you get your book open, uh, Nehemiah's chapter 1 through 6, we won't read them all, but we're going to dip in and out. So if you get your Bibles open or turn them on, whatever works for you, and we'll find different ways of just connecting here to the story of Nehemiah. And this is a story about the rebuilding of the walls. So at this point, the uh, altar has been rebuilt and the temple has been rebuilt, but the walls are still broken down. And the walls of a city are really important because they actually uh, tell people to stay away. They keep the, the city safe. Uh, they make people feel uh, comfortable at night, knowing that no one's going to come and rob them. Uh, but the walls are broken. They're damaged and nobody's repaired them for 70 years. And there are people who have lived there all that time and they've become comfortable with the brokenness. They become comfortable and think as normal every day that there is just a community. There's just a, walls are just broken around us and we'll leave them as they are. 
And today I want to try and discover that we have a community to serve and we have a city and a, a community to rebuild, a neighbourhood to rebuild. And we must not settle for how things are. We, it's not good for us as followers of Jesus to say, that's just the way it is. To be comfortable with the brokenness and to ignore it. It does take people of influence, people like Nehemiah we're going to meet today, to lead people, to work together, to rebuild neighbourhoods. But it's not okay to look the other way, to think it's not our problem, to walk on by, we all play our part in rebuilding our neighbourhood. Let me just pray and then we'll dive into Nehemiah chapter 1. Lord, I want to pray that as I speak this morning, that the words of this ancient story would leap off the pages of our Bibles and remind us and, and, and almost c compel us to make a difference today, we pray. Amen. So if you go to Nehemiah 1, and we're going to start in verse 3, and what's happened here is some people have come back and told Nehemiah the stuff that's going on back in Jerusalem. And they said this to me in verse 3. They said this to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. But then he says this, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honoured. The first thing Nehemiah does is he prays. He prays. He says, God, would you restore us? Would you rebuild our community? He prays, it says, for days. For days he mourns, he prays, he fasts. And he reminds God about the promise he made to Moses. If your people are in exile, which is exactly what was happening right then. If your people are in exile, if we obey your ways, would you bring us back? And then he carries on in verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honouring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And these last few words at the end of chapter one, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. I love the fact he just adds that in there, like going, I'm just the cupbearer. I'm praying like mad, I'm fasting, I'm mourning, I'm beside myself. What can I do? I'm just the king's cupbearer. The first thing I want to say to us today, if we want to be people that rebuild our neighbourhood, is it starts with prayer. Prayer prepares for possibility. Prayer 
prepares for possibility. Our prayers start to, to dig up the ground like a plough creates the space for the seeds to be sown. That's what our prayers do. We start with prayer. When, when Nehemiah heard of the challenges that were happening in the place of Jerusalem, what did he do? Did he try and go and fix it? No, he stopped and he prayed because our prayers prepare for possibility. That's where it begins. If you want to rebuild your neighbourhood, start by praying. Start by praying for those around you. If we want to discover what is God saying for our town, for our community, for our villages, start with prayer. If you want to see change, we need to start with prayer. If we want to see our neighbours find Jesus for themselves, pray. If we want to see our families encounter God in a fresh way, pray. If we want to see our nations transformed, our cities, our towns, our government transformed, it starts with prayer. It's not going to be a surprise at this point. It starts with prayer. Prayer. You can join in the studio if you want to. That's fine. Okay. It makes me feel a little bit less alone here. We can pray. Our prayers turn our attention to God. Rather than focusing on the needs around us, we turn our attention to the provider, the creator, the king of kings, the one who has all the resources we need. And his promise to us is not that he will fix all our problems. His promise to us is he will be with us through our problems. So when we pray, the answer to our prayer is the presence of God. He is reminding us he is with us. And we might be desperately saying, God, would you change this? He says, yeah, I'll tell you what, you bring the change. I'm going to come and be with you as you work it through. It starts with prayer. In 1 Timothy 2, it says these words, uh, verse 1, I urge you, he says, first of all, first of all, underline that in your Bible. First of all, highlight it on your phone. First of all, to pray for all people. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Saviour, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. It starts with prayer. If you want to see transformation, if you want to see your neighbourhood change, it starts with prayer. If you want to see something change around you, start praying for the area you're in. I know that when we started um, in our locations a few weeks back, um, I prayer walked all the different communities. I just thought, God, we want to start seeing um, light in dark places. We want to see these locations grow and flourish. And so I walked around and I tell you, as I walked around the communities and realised 650 families living on Abbotswood Housing Estate. And I'm praying there and going, wow, what an opportunity to tell the story of Jesus in this place. As I walked around the beautiful village of Bracefield and I prayed for the people that lived there, people who lived there for many years, people who've moved into the new house and there's this growing community of people that love that place, that village. Well, I would love them to meet Jesus, connect them. As I walked around the town centre and that place is often busy on a sunny day with all the coffee shops open and pubs and so forth and I, I pray for the URC Abbey Hall there and I pray a blessing on that place and I say, God, would you bring life? Would you bring fruit? Would you bring a harvest to this place? And we pray. And I prayer walk that space and I encourage you, maybe your locations, to find time to go out praying because if we want to see possibilities happen, it starts with prayer. That's what Nehemiah did. He prayed. In fact, he prayed for months before anything happened. Just a little challenge there for you. It won't just happen overnight. We need to start with prayer. So let's go carry on the story here of Nehemiah and going into chapter 2 and verse 1. 
and it says this, early the following spring, this is like a few months later of prayer, early the following spring in the month of Nisan during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. This is another king. We've had King Cyrus. We've had all these different kings. We had different leaders. And this is the third king, King Artaxerxes. I was serving, this is Nehemiah, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. And he'd be terrified because appearing in front of the king um, as if you were um, not really in your best sort of state or best form would be disrespectful. And you could end up losing your job, even losing your life. But he was terrified but replied, long live the king. It's always a good way to start your reply to the king. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king asked, how can I help you? At this moment, it says here in Nehemiah verse 4, with a prayer to the God of heaven. Can I suggest that prayer was a very short prayer? It was probably a prayer under his breath or in his mind. He didn't probably say, can I go away for a few months, king, and I'll come back to you. He prayed a short prayer. He'd been praying for months for this opportunity, and he prays to the God of heaven and replies, if it pleases the king... And if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. And if you go around the rest of Nehemiah 2, it's kind of pretty cool because um, Nehemiah goes, well, I'm in for a penny. Mark's going for a pound. He goes, I tell you what, king, if it's okay with you, can I not just go and rebuild the walls? Could I have loads of resources and money and building equipment and some of your servants and, and, and the army? And he even says, could I have a house for myself as well while we're getting the shopping list going? It's true, it's in the Bible there. And the king says yes to it all. He says yes. He says the favour is on him. And it says there in, um, in verse 8, the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Nehemiah had favour. He prayed for months. It started there, but he had favour. Here's the thing we wanted to hear this morning is this. Everyone can influence someone. Everyone can influence someone. Nehemiah was just the cupbearer to the king, but had huge influence you may be whatever just you want to fill in the blank but God can still use you everyone can influence someone if prayer can be likened to plowing up a field preparing for seed you carry the seed of the Holy Spirit in you you carry deep inside of you the very person of God himself the same power that conquered the grave lives in you lives in me and everywhere we go we get to change the atmosphere it changes the places we're part of and we carry seed that we can influence others that we have the potential to multiply many times over that God has put within us that is an option you and I have I genuinely believe that everybody can influence someone and you might be thinking ah oh, you don't mean me sim you don't mean me, I couldn't possibly bring change. I don't stand on platforms, I don't have big responsibilities, I'm not a manager, uh, you know, I don't have kind of a big profile, I've not got many followers online. You, one person can influence another person. Everyone can influence someone. Everybody makes a difference. You know, there's an African proverb that says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you've never spent a night 
with a mosquito flying around. And if you've ever been to Africa, and I've done this, and I've tried to sleep under a mosquito net, thinking, how is that thing never getting through these small holes in the mosquito net? And it keeps you awake, and a small thing can make a huge difference. Everyone can make a difference. And uh, turn to the person next to you right now, yeah, in the studio as well, and say, you can influence someone. There we go, we've got audience participation. You can make a difference to somebody uh, around you. If you still don't think so, get in your car after we finish church today. Drive it to the traffic lights anywhere around town. Park your car and go for a coffee. When you get back, you will have influenced a lot of people. Your car may be impounded, so please don't do this, but you will make a difference. We all can influence people around us. Our behaviour, our attitude, the way we treat people has huge influence. And that Holy Spirit power lives inside each one of us. Your very presence changes your workplace. It changes your home. It changes your family. It changes your neighbourhood just by being a son or daughter of the King of Kings. The problem is sometimes we forget who we are. We think we're just a cupbearer. But we're the daughter, we're the son of the King of Kings, who, has all, who is all-powerful, and we have access to him. The favour of God was on Nehemiah. The favour of God is on you. Everyone can influence someone. Proverbs 11 says these words, The blessing that rests on the righteous releases strength and favour to the entire city. Or in verse 11, it repeats the same phrase and says, the blessing of favour rests upon the righteous, influences the city to lift it higher. You and I can help lift our community higher. We can bring strength and favour to that around us. I love the fact that um, I was asked by the town council to speak at a, an event in the summer on wellbeing. And having just finished a teaching series on well-being, I thought I had a few things I could probably say on well-being to our local community. And the posters came out last week and I've been advertised as Sim Dendi motivational speaker. <laughs> uh, I've never been phrased as such and, and obviously they've sort of lost the church leader piece, but that's fine. I'm like, I don't mind what label I go in with. I know I carry the presence of God. And whatever topic I'm covering, however I'm speaking, it's not the words I say, it's the person I am and the person I am representing in all those spaces. We all get to have influence. Everybody can influence somebody. So we go back to the Bible, we'll get through this story. Uh, go to the end of, of, of Nehemiah 2 and we'll jump to verse 18. And this is the point where Nehemiah has got to Jerusalem. He's gathering all the elders of the people of Israel. He's got them together and he says these words. I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me. How the gracious hand of God has been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the walls. So they began the good work. And then Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan. They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. God's going to help us succeed. God will help us in this work. And if you jump into Nehemiah 3, and you'll just see, I won't read the whole thing, but you'll see there they got into groups and started rebuilding it. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassaniah. The old city gate was repaired by Joe Dyer and son and, and the 
Uh, the sons of Hur, they did the walls next door. The valley gate was repaired by the people of Zenoah. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom. And those of you who have been to Jerusalem will recognise some of these places where people repaired them. And different groups, different people, the horse's gate was repaired by the priests. Even the priests got their hands dirty and got involved. All the different families, all the different groups got together and rebuilt the walls in Nehemiah chapter 3. In chapter 4, there's some opposition from Sanballat and his crew. But then in Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're jumping ahead here. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, and I love this. On October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realised this work had been done with the help of our God. Suddenly, after 70 years, someone comes to town, gathers all the community, tells them that God is with us, and they manage to rebuild the walls in 52 days. That's a story of God's hand at work. My final point to you is this. It takes more than one brick to rebuild a wall. It takes more than one brick to rebuild a wall. If we want to rebuild our neighbourhood, we need each other. We need more people. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need to share our story like Amanda did this morning to tell the vision of what God wants to do in our communities, to empower other people, to build a sense of belonging and community. It's amazing what can do through the power of the Holy Spirit when God's people start to serve one another and don't care who gets the credit apart from God himself and what we can be achieved in such a short space of time. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out his 72 and it says this, he sent them in pairs to all the towns and places he had planned to visit. So he sent them out before he was there. And he said these instructions to them, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. We need more help to rebuild our neighbourhood. We need each other. I need you and you need the people around you. We need each other to serve our neighbourhood. We need help. I also want to say as a bit of an aside from that story there, Nehemiah chapter 4, we will face opposition. This is not some sort of magic formula. If you pray and you recognise the influence you carry, then everywhere you go, it'll all be transformed overnight. I believe that's true, but I also believe we will face opposition. Uh, in March this year, I got a phone call from a, a church leader in Southampton. He phoned me and said, Sim, he said, I really believe that God has given you a vision for your church in Romsey. And I believe it's a vision that's really significant. He said, but I believe there are sand ballots coming your way. He actually used that, that name with that character in Nehemiah chapter 4. There are sand ballots coming who will try and, and scoff and will try and pull it apart and say, actually, that's not what we're called to do and try and sort of almost be contemptuous about things. And I want to say publicly, I said, we are going forward as a church. We are renewing. We are rebuilding. We are reviving. And we are deliberate in these things. We're not going to go small and go silent and go quiet. As a church, it's time to step up and shine. And maybe there are people who go, oh, I, I want to be comfortable. I want to be safe. And I'm saying, I understand the need to be safe. But we're called on a mission to see people's lives and communities transformed, to introduce people to Jesus not just to make sure we've got a ticket to heaven and stay quiet. We've got a job to do. And I know there'll be some distractions. There'll be people who come along and say, is there not an easier way of doing things? Maybe there is, but this is what God has called us to do at this time. Let's get the band back up, shall we, as I just wrap this up together. 
I want to say this, a prayer prepares for possibility, that everyone can influence someone, that it takes more than one brick to build a wall. Our neighbourhood, our town, our villages, our community, wherever you live, the city of Southampton, it needs you. It needs me as we rebuild. In Isaiah 6, the prophet says these words, I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send the messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. If we want to bring change, it starts with you, it starts with me. Here I am, send me. We can pray, say, God, will you send the workers? Could go and do the work. Maybe God is saying, you're one of the workers. You've got a job to do. You've got a part to play. And the last thing I want to mention from Zechariah 4, a beautiful little verse. It says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And he's referring there to the character we talked about the very first week who rebuilt the altar. The moment he held up the plumb line and to start planning how he was going to rebuild the Lord rejoiced. You may think like right now we're in locations and we're all apart and this is not what we hope for and it feels a bit small. I'm telling to you today, don't despise these small beginnings. God's hand is upon us. What is small has huge influence. We are bigger than we think. We are not just the cupbearers to the king. We carry the presence of God. We may be small in number. We have great influence. The favour of God is on you the favour of God is on me. Let us pray for us. Lord, I thank you for Freedom Church. I thank you for all the potential that lies within us as we carry your Holy Spirit into our everyday world and existence. I want to pray you'd help us to make a difference, to influence those around us, to be your son and your daughter, to change the atmosphere of the locations we find ourselves in, to change the atmosphere of our homes, our families, our communities, our workplaces, our colleges. Whatever we are doing, Lord, may we bring you right into the centre. May we say to ourselves in the mornings where we look ourselves in the mirror, here I am, Lord, send me, send us. Use Freedom Church to change the atmosphere of this town, of this community, of the place we live, we pray. In your name. Amen. Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.